0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. I'll ask again how many of you are up till midnight to celebrate, not me. Really? No, put your hands up again. you a bunch of old fogies like me. What's the deal? How many were awakened at midnight by the war around your house? Yeah, gosh, it was pretty awesome at our place. Uh, how many of you are glad you're here this morning? Okay, there we go. You're, most of you are alive. That's good. Uh, we are, you know, where this is Mark 13. This is, a, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples in the midst of a very, very, very troubled It's a picture of how to live in troubled times, and that's what we're thinking of as we come into this sermon this morning. So grab your Bibles, uh, turn them on, or open them up to Mark 13, and we want to read this passage together, and then we'll unpack it. Mark chapter 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he They will deceive many. When you hear wars, rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations, Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judah flee. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter. Because those days of distress are unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and will never be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short these days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the skies and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is God's word for us to ponder this morning such a powerful passage so difficult to lay hand on what it understands and the time, well it's a new year I reflect, what happened? Who's that? Von Miller and Cam Newton playing for Denver and Carolina don't care who won The odd thing is, neither one of those teams made the playoff this year. Change happens. Dynasties fall apart. Heroes are quickly forgotten. By the way, my son Don says, please root for the Broncos, because if they lose, or they win, then Kansas City can get the AFC championship and he wants that. So, good idea. What's that? How long has it been since the Cubs won the World Series until this year? 108 years. 1908 was the last time they won the World Series. I mean, who can believe it? Who can believe it? Amazing. This woman, what's unique about her, maybe? She's a prom queen. What else? She's wearing a full-covering Muslim as a prom queen. She was elected, her name is uh, Sharif Salabi. was elected prom queen in Fontana, California, just a short distance from San Bernardino, four months after the killings in San Bernardino. To me, this is a triumph of grace, that she could stand there, proud Muslim woman, elected prom queen by Fontana, which is a working-class city. We saw protests break out, and sometimes very violent, This picture became iconic because the woman, their 28-year-old nurse and mother of a six-year-old, Ashia Evans, is being confronted by police in full riot gear. Now, they're not in riot gear because of her. They're in riot gear because this Baton Rouge, Louisiana intentions were out of sight. Just ironic how things work out. July. Pope Francis. Where is he? Auschwitz, Auschwitz, the death camp there in Poland where Hitler brutally genocide Jewish folk. Hitler's gone, Nazis are gone. This representative of Jesus Christ bringing the gospel into that place. Antonin Scalia. Again, representative of huge change at a central core, things change. This is Aleppo, Syria. One of the most beautiful cities in the entire world. I've never been there and love to have been. I've been in Beirut. Beautiful, beautiful city a few years ago. That's that same scene today. The Souks, the marketplaces in the center, central city of Aleppo. Unbelievably beautiful. It was a tourist site in its own route just because of the incredible beauty of this covered spot and all the excitement. This is what it looks like today. Things change, empires fall, beautiful places are ruined by war. How do you live as a Christian in those kinds of contexts? Sayed Zaria was my student at Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. He used to live near Aleppo. He's been run out by the war, tried to find asylum in Russia, wasn't able. He's now in Norway. Those of you who follow me on Facebook, you can see his story, I posted it yesterday. Air Force One in March, flying into where? Cuba. Change happens. Incredible change. As Fidel Castro, the longtime dictator, since 1959, died and his ashes taken to their final resting spot. And there you see in the background Fidel and his brother. Change happens. This is one of my favorite pictures of 2016. This is George W. and Laura Bush, former president and first lady, who at the dedication of the Smithsonian. Museum of African-American History and Culture, which they brought into existence. I mean, he was the guy that made it happen. And then President Obama was the one who was there as president when they dedicated it. And this picture of uh, Michelle Obama hugging George W. Bush, I just love it. But the funnest picture ever is this one. What's going on there? The Bonner family, who are fourth generation descendants of as an escaped slave, Elijah B. Odom, wanted their picture taken with former President and First Lady, former First Lady Bush. So, who'd they get to take the picture? President Obama, of course. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. What an incredible change that happens. What an incredible change that happens, transitions that come on. This is another change. After the elections, when President-elect Trump meeting with President Obama in the Oval Office, and you see it from the other side, it looks a little different. Because it's a very public event. All the microphones trying to catch the pleasantries that these two men were saying to each other. Again, an incredible, incredible change that happens. What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus in that kind of change and uncertainty as things go on. Love, 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 love this picture. White House. Thanksgiving. A gathering of family and friends there in the White House. And who's leading the entire group in prayer? President Obama. See, prayer is what happens in a constancy of change. In all of the things that go on. Because we don't know what's coming. We don't know the details. We can get general scope... But prayer is the central kind of thing as various people gather together and join together and praying the Lord of glory to be present with us. And the admonition is devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. This is from Colossians. And that's what we want to dedicate ourselves to here at Grace as we think of a happy new year that's characterized by rejoice and Without, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning Christ Jesus in you. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, as we think of the troubles of this past year and the uncertainties and the changes and the difficulties and the cynicism and the anger and the hatefulness that's been flying around so wildly, even in our own city here, We pray that you will remind us that you are still the Lord. You are the King of glory. You are at work. Your grace does not end. Your love has not ceased. Your forgiveness is real. Your transformation is powerful. And you've called us to be your emissaries to carry out the gospel. To bring love and service and hope and forgiveness and healing to all kinds of people from every possible background. Teach us to be people who are committed to that kind of a gospel of love and service and forgiveness and healing because we know you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's unpack this passage. Jesus, the disciples look at this temple and it's, it's the, probably the most beautiful building in the world at that time. And he says, every thing is coming down. Now some of the stones of these temple, I've seen them. Some of the stones are the size of a trimet bus. They're all coming down, Jesus said. The de- so Jesus is departing the temple and everybody who was biblically aware and all the disciples and many people would recognize this is Ezekiel 8 through 11. This is when God departed the temple before Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. When he departs the temple, that is a, oh my gosh, especially because he's prophesying, it's destruction. Now, that's a a horrible word, because everybody around that heard that will remember what happened in 586 BC with the destruction of Jerusalem. So they ask him, they ask him, when will these things happen? When will these things happen? And his answer, you know, that's their question. When? You say this is going to happen, like, oh, my gosh, really? Like, when? And he kind of answers their question. Fig trees. Fig trees? Jesus, we're talking about stones and temples. What are you talking about fig trees? When you see his happiness right at the door, to tell you, This generation will not pass away until all these things. What was these things back at the beginning? The destruction of the temple. So verses 3 through 31 are talking about these things happening. And it circles around the destruction of the temple. And that he is saying, I think as he's answering, you'll be in the generation right after Jesus. Everything between verse 3 and verse 31 will happen in that generation. And I think that's true. We'll unpack that a little bit further in just a bit. Verse 32, the tone changes completely. He goes from fig trees, the generation not pass away, it's right at the door, to about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, not even Jesus knows that day. And so Jesus begins by looking ahead to his second coming, which is a separate event, at an unknown time. So the destruction of the temple and all the stuff in that first section will happen within a generation, roughly 40 years. But he looks ahead to another time, to his coming, and that's an unknown time. Well, let's think about this a little bit. That thirty-one. what's his word? What's the central word that he's telling us? Watch. Be alert. Be on guard. It is so central. And he's saying, many will come in my name. These are what some people call the signs of the times. There will be all kinds of false messiahs. There will be people claiming to be Jesus in various forms. They'll deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. Remember, this is first generation. This is 30 AD to 70 AD. But this is also a pattern for the rest of history. There are all kinds of wars. The Roman Empire was at war with everybody, it seemed like, in this time. Thirdly, nation against nation. Not war, just the kind of jockeying and parallel pushing that's going on right now between. Russia and the United States, for example, between Iraq and Syria, longtime enemies with different philosophies, and they push on each other, but they're not fighting each other. Earthquakes in various (coughs) places and famines, natural catastrophes. Again, the pattern for today, lots of this, lots of this. What does he say about that? Well, before number three there, what does he say? That's not the end. This is not the end. The last phrase on the slide there is, it's the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, everybody who has been around at a birth time has some memories. I have tremendous memories of the first one we had. We were sitting at the table in our little apartment in Denver, Colorado, and Sherry jumped off her chair and made a very odd phrase that I'd never heard before. She said, my water broke. (laughs) And I said, being the stupid man, how do you know? That was quickly answered as I walked the trail of water as she headed for the bathroom. I was kind of it like there's a baby coming. It was a long time with a lot of pain. The beginning is what he's talking about here. This is the end of it. You'd be handed over to local councils and flogged. There'd be persecution. Sixthly, the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Now, when was the gospel preached to all nations? Well, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the whole world. And then verse 23, this is the gospel that's proclaimed to every creature under heaven. What's he saying? The gospel has gone to the entire world as it was known in those days. It happened in the first generation. In that first generation, the gospel went from this little ragtag group of scared people went to the entire world as was known in those days. Everyone will hate you because of me. Son, you want to join up for this? Does this sound exciting? Yikes. Let me give you a little bit of a theology lesson here. The ascension of Jesus happened, let's just to say for all numbers, 30 AD. The return of Jesus happens when? We don't know. That's the whole point. In between those two, we just call it the church age, before his ascension, birth, resurrection, and such, is just the time of Israel. After his return, I think that's the millennium, this earthly time of righteousness and peace. Some people think that's the new heaven, new earth. They're what we call amillennial. I am what we call premillennial. I think there'll be a fulfillment. Israel is under the Mosaic Covenant, with all the sacrifices, all the temple, all the dietary laws, circumcision, all those kinds of things. We're now under the inaugurated New Covenant. The New Covenant has begun with us, but not fulfilled. The New Covenant will be fully fulfilled with the restoration of Israel as a nation, I think, in the, in the millennium. Now, the question is, what are the signs of the times? Those eight things I just read you from Mark chapter 13. For many, they think the signs of the times will increase at the end, and it will really be a sign of the return of Jesus. So you see more wars, more famine, more persecution. And there's actually a website you can go look at, raptureready.com, that will give you a calculation of when Jesus is coming. Now their number is just 160 is fasten your seatbelts. It's not been under 180 in like years. So I hope you got your seatbelt. But see, the point is, that's not what these are about. What these are about, signs of the times, is that's the way it'll be all during that time. Jesus' word when, he sh- when these things happen is, it's not the end. Think of 2001, those of you who were alive at that time, and planes went flying into buildings. I heard from people who are not Christian in any sense, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. No, no, that's just the way it is. Wars happen. Look at all the climate change. Oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. No, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be. We had a leap second this year. Did you know that? How come? Because the central core of the earth is unstable and the earth slowed down slightly so I had to adjust our clocks by a second. This year, I'm sure you all noticed. (laughs) The signs of the times are characteristic of the entire age, not signs of the return, I think. And it changes at verse 13 with this very strange phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. Now that's from the book of Daniel. And we're gonna look at the book of Daniel starting in February, and we're gonna unpack at greater length how Christians live faithfully in troubled times. But that phrase, the abomination that causes desolation, was first fulfilled in 168 BC by the Greek Antiochus Epiphanes, who came in, took over Jerusalem, and sacrificed a pig in the temple, drank its blood in ultimate desecration. In Judas Maccabeus, Judas the hammer, led a rebellion against the apostate evil Greek king. That same thing Jesus is saying is gonna happen again, and what we know now from a historic vantage point is that was done by Titus, the Roman general, and the Roman armies in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. There's a four-year war that was climaxed by the destruction of the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. So the signs of the time, all the way along. The crisis in Judah is the siege of Jerusalem. The war started in 66 with a Jewish revolt. It was culminated in 70 AD as the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem and literally starved the people out. The good and godly people were literally eating the flesh of dead babies in order to survive. The rich people had nothing left and were fighting for crumbs, just to survive in the streets. It was a horrible time until they finally broke through. And that's what Jesus is predicting. Now he talks about this. In those days following that distress, now what's the distress? Siege of Jerusalem. So in those days, following that distress, the siege of Jerusalem, he uses this language, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, stars will fall from heaven, heavenly bodies will be shaken, so such are like the return of Jesus. Sure sounds like that, but something to notice. What do you see there? It's a quotation mark. When you see a quotation mark, what should you do? Look in the margin, or look in the, the click thing on your Bible, and you'll see this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 13. What's Isaiah 13 about? What's it about? What's it about? This is not hard. What's it about? The destruction of Babylon. Now, in those days, Babylon was the power in the world. They were the United States of the day. Unparalleled military power, unparalleled economic power. They were the big guys. And this is a prophecy against Babylon from Isaiah. And in verse 10, look what's there. Stars of heaven, their constellation will not show the light. The rising sun will be dark, and the moon will not give light. I will shake the heavens, tremble. What is that? That is apocalyptic language. That is apocalyptic language. On your notes, on the back side, I have some characteristics of apocalyptic language. It's language done as resistance literature, written in a context of oppression, persecution, despair. It's full of symbology, full of huge things like stars falling and all that sort of thing. And what he's saying here, he's talking about, well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the destruction of Babylon. When did that happen? Well, Babylon was conquered by the Persians in 539 BC, and the city was abandoned completely in 275 BC. When did the stars fall out of heaven? Well, that's apocalyptic language. See, if you read that literally, you misread it. If you mean, that means stars are gonna drop out of heaven or something, you're misreading. This is symbolic language of epic change. And who's it applied to? Babylon. Who's it applied to in Mark 13? It's applied to Jerusalem. And what he's saying is here is Jerusalem has become like Babylon. It's become a wicked place that is opposed to the things of God and it will be destroyed. And he uses that same apocalyptic language for Jerusalem. So it's really about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's not about the second coming. It's about the destruction of Jerusalem. How about this one? At that same time people see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. It's your sign return of Jesus. Jesus coming on the clouds and all that. What do you note? Quotation. What do you do when you see a quotation? Use your cross reference, go back and find out where it came from. It comes from Daniel chapter seven, which we'll unpack at some length, because this is a hugely important passage in this Daniel's prophecy in his vision looking before me there's one like a son of man Jesus' famous phrase for himself coming with the clouds of heaven there's the phrase that Matthew or Mark quotes Jesus quotes actually what's he implying it to in Daniel this is the one like a son of man who is coming where to the ancient of days who's that that's the father it's not him coming back to earth that's him coming to the Father. And what happens? He is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. That is his exaltation. And all the nations and peoples of every language worship him. Where is he? He's in heaven. What is this saying? The gospel will go to the whole world and will have people of every language group worshiping him. Messiah, who is in heaven. See, this is, what is this about? Exaltation of the right hand of the Father. When did that happen? At the ascension of Jesus, when he went to be with the Father. That is not language about the second coming. That's language about the exaltation of Jesus, because when the temple is destroyed, that's the end of a whole era. It's epochal change. And this is the vindication of Jesus whom they crucified. The Jewish leaders and the Romans have crucified Jesus to put an end to him. And what this is doing is the vindication. As they're destroyed, he is exalted. It's a before the temple is destroyed thing. He'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. What it's talking about? Well, the word angels there. If you look this up in the Greek lexicon, the first meaning is a human messenger. An angelos is a messenger serving as an envoy. Who do you think that might apply to? Us. We are envoys of the Jesus who has been exalted. Again, that's first generation stuff. So all of this time, the entire group is all coming before the destruction of the temple. All down through verse 31 is all talking about that first generation, but I think it's important to notice, that first generation from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., roughly, is a pattern for the rest of history. And it's a pattern for a final time of tribulation, which scripture calls the Great Tribulation, which will come Before Jesus comes back, we believe. Now what does that say? The signs of the times are just the way it is. I mean, that's the way it happens. That's the way it happens. But about that day, Jesus changing his thing, there in verse 32, about that day, that day is technical phrase for the day of the Lord. I've got some references there in your notes. You can check that. That day in verse 32 is not the destruction of the temple, it's the day of the Lord, which is a different day. The day of the Lord, which is what includes Messiah's appearing and reign, is resurrection from the dead and the establishment of the new heavens and new earth at the end of the age. He's looking ahead to that, which is our hope. Because in the midst of all the stuff going on, in the midst of all the chaos, all the catastrophe, all the falling apart, all the destruction, all the wars, all the things that are happening, is we look forward to the fact that the Jesus who is exalted and present among us through the Holy Spirit is still Lord and King, even though everything else may fall apart. In the first century, the center of Christianity is in Turkey, as we call it today. How many Christians in Turkey today? Almost none. None. Almost none. Things change. Things change. The lessons we learn in the midst of all the stuff's going on, what's the word? Don't be alarmed. <laughs> so the word is stay calm. That is important word as I look at the people who are just absolutely freaking out with what's happening in our society today. And I've seen Christians Joining in the panic, the anger, I think we need to hear Jesus' word. Stay calm. Prophets predicting the end. You can't read a newspaper without a prophet predicting, oh my gosh, the end is here. Because of this or that thing that's happening. Political upheaval will happen. It's been like that all the way along. So we're not really surprised when it happens. We're not surprised when there's natural disasters. What happened just before the Romans invaded Jerusalem? Pompeii. Remember Pompeii from your history lessons? When Vesuvius blew up and a beautiful city was completely destroyed and the economy of Rome was desperately damaged by that natural disaster? Just like Jesus predicted. And those same things happen today. The failure of Christianity. The North African place. There are almost no Christians now. That was the center of Christianity in 400 A.D. Almost no Christians there now. What was the great center of Christianity in, say, 1750? What was the great center of Christianity in 1750? Europe. What's Europe like today? Incredibly secular. And going anti-Christian in many places. Some revivals breaking out. What was the center of Christianity 40 years ago? The United States. What's the center of Christianity right now? South of the equator. That's why you should come to Mission Connection and hear more about what's going on with that. Now, Christianity is not failing, but the religious structures fail. Everyone will hate you. Stand firm to the end. So a second warning is stand firm to the end. Live. And the point we say here is I, for Jesus followers, I like this Jesus. Now, the thing is, I don't get to define who Jesus is. I can't pick and choose the parts of Jesus I like. I've got to take the whole package. And what I find is I like this Jesus, but there's some stuff that he does that really troubles me. Well, the problem is mine, not his. I've got to bring myself in line with who he is because I want to be like him. And that's a big challenge because I'm way too American. And our values are very, very different than the values of Jesus in many places. Send his angels to gather the elect. Well, that's the preach on, is my way of saying it. Carry out the mission of Jesus, keep doing it. So stay calm, stand firm, preach on. Lessons from what Jesus is saying for the disciples then and for us today. That same thing. How should we live? What does it mean for us today? One of the things it means is we need to avoid both end time absorption. And I come from a generation where prophecy conferences were everything. I was raised with the Chick Comics and the prophecy charts to date things out. I was here in Portland in 1988 when the whole city was taken up with 88 reasons why Crisis is coming in 88. I was interviewed by one of the local TV networks to say, I don't think this guy's got a right, And We've had several since then. Don't, absorption is the wrong answer. But the real problem today is not absorption, it's apathy. Where is the time of his coming? It's been 2,000 years. And people today are not looking forward to the day of Jesus. They're looking forward to good life now. And preachers are titling their books things like the best life is now. It's not. It's not. All the stuff Jesus talked about is going to happen in this generation. We look forward to his coming, but we also live faithfully in the present. So quit trying to calculate dates. Just stop it. They keep coming out. And I just can't just read the Bible and stop it? <laughs> quit it. Quit it. Stop. But the other side of watch. What does a watch mean? Sitting out at midnight on a hill and looking up, waiting for Jesus to come back. Probably not. I mean, that's not a bad thing to do. Watch the stars while you're there. But watch means to anticipate his coming, live in light of his coming, which brings hope. I'm watching as I watch our culture today, and I'm seeing the despair breaking on in our world, the cynicism, the whatever. Usually done with nasty words I can't say here as people just go into apathy and are into the exquisite foods and the most perfect coffee or whatever your drink is. Jesus talked about that, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. And that has become the philosophy of Portland. There's a thing in the Oregonian today that retailers are using Portland as a test market because we're just ahead of the rest of the country. And I think this is sad. This is sad. We should be excited about what Jesus is doing. So our evaluation is, look at what's going on, not in light of what promotes our comfort, but evaluate what's going on in terms of what honors Jesus Christ. And one of my commitments is, I will never honor anything that dishonors Jesus. I will never honor anything that dishonors Jesus. That's a deep commitment for me. As I realize what's going on. Well, de-junk your faith. What does that mean? There's all kinds of cultural garbage you've got in our faith. The one that is probably the most bothersome for me is how much we equate Christianity with the good life. And I watch how many people are ready to junk their faith in Jesus Christ because disease hits them. Or because uh, they lose their job. Jesus said that's going to happen. That's not God's work, that's Satan's work. Why would you blame God for what Satan brought into our world, what we bring into our world? God is the one who brings healing and forgiveness. Now, true, he'll sometimes use disease for punishment of sin or something. But on the whole, the disaster is Satan's work, and he's got our attention say, well, God, you failed us because you didn't protect me for what's going on. He told us it was going to happen, what we need to do is look for the faith of the God who's present, and we need to de-junk our faith and bring it back to a biblical faith, very central, and the baseline of it all. Because Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father, and His Lord has poured out the Holy Spirit and is coming back, we can live in messianic hope. And that was our Christmas theme. The thrill of hope from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Because that hope is real. Jesus is alive and well. The Holy Spirit is at work. And it's amazing what Jesus is doing. But see, evaluate means look for what Jesus is doing, spend a whole lot of time worrying about what Satan or Russian hackers are doing. So we're gonna come together here. I'm gonna ask the others to come forward to the tables here as we take our communion. What this communion is, is a time when, as Jesus, before he was crucified, took that last Passover supper and shared it with the disciples, and he established this as a memorial for Christians everywhere. And what he said here was that this meal, this very simple meal, is a time for us to celebrate together with the reality of who Jesus is and to celebrate our part in that. So the bread here reminds us of the body that was given for us. Simple bit of bread that does that. And the cup of juice reminds us of the blood and the new covenant that we live under today. So I'm going to ask you as we sing to come forward, receive the elements, hold them, and we'll take them together in just a bit. Come and receive.